Howdy. This is the Fight Sites MMA podcast. I didn't know what I was going to say before I started that <laughs> sentence, but I found it. Uh, I'm Ed Gallo. I'm joined by Shriram Raleigh-Darn, whose name I butchered last week for the first time. <laughs> I haven't stopped thinking about it, and I'm so sorry. It's fine. Uh, yeah, I'm good. This was an interesting week, and we have another interesting one ahead of us. So lots of stuff to talk about. Mm-hmm. Important things, maybe not the most no, the most things, but important. Yeah. Uh, shout out to our patrons who have given us a decent amount of requests to do like on the podcast or questions and other topics to discuss. Um, we're waiting for an off week. There's just, we listen before every podcast, we're like, okay, what is there to discuss? And I'm like, Oh, that won't take too long. And then we do <laughs> it. And it's like an hour and a half. And we're like, we can't, this can't be any longer. So thank you for your patience. Uh, and for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, uh, the fight sites on Patreon. That is how we make money. Uh, $3 gets you in and that gives you access to all of our exclusive content, which there is a lot of. Um, so if you think we're just like a podcast or whatever, think again. And beyond that, You're like, idiot. yeah, <laughs> $5 gets you into our discord server, which is uh, turning out to be a pretty big community. Uh, there's almost 200 people in there, I think. And it's pretty active and there's lots of different discussions going on at once. And I'm pretty, pretty happy with it right now. So get in there. Uh, come hang out with us if you're an MMA fan who is knowledgeable and wants to talk to other knowledgeable fans or a fan of other combat sports who wants to do that or who would like to become knowledgeable about combat sports or just be surrounded by people who are, it's a good place to be. Um, so there's my ad read. But yeah, we'll get to your, your request soon. Uh, guys, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not that sorry. I'm busy. But yeah. <laughs> yeah we're going to get to it within the month because like the, there's not a whole lot of things. This is like the that UFC has tended to like put a bunch of good fights on the pay-per-view and just completely neglect the fight nights mm-hmm. like, the last couple months. So we should have some off weeks to handle whatever you ask. And for new people, we'll, the MMA podcast at least tends to be somewhat prompt. So if you ask us, we'll get to it. My, to yeah. My life is so content centric that when I see like a card that sucks coming up, I'm like, oh yeah, I don't really have to talk about that. And I get excited. <laughs> I was rooting for the Olympics to be canceled because I didn't want to write about it. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> so that's where my mind's at right now. Uh, but the Olympics were not canceled in men's freestyle. It's literally about to start in two minutes. Um, so if you see my eyes darting around, um, it's not because I have ADHD, but I do. But that's not why. Um, anyway, <laughs> let's talk about mixed martial arts. So in terms of results, uh, there was the UFC card last week and there was the Bellator card last week. The Bellator card was infinitely better, uh, but the UFC card did have a lot of finishes and people like that. But in terms of fights that matter divisionally, the main event's probably the only one worth talking about. Uh, so Sean Strickland beat up your Uriah Hall. I watched it. You watched it. How, how did you feel about Strickland's performance? Did, you, did we learn anything new or was that just kind of how that fight was supposed to go? Yeah, I think that was pretty much just classic Strickland and classic Hall for that matter. Um, we saw Hall like kind of try to be a bit urgent. Like the the thing about Strickland is if you give him space to like be smart, he's going to be relatively smart about the things that he's doing. Uh, we saw in like the, the from the first second of the Hall fight, right? He was getting behind his shoulder really proactively to guard against Hall's singular counter that he does like once around sometimes, <laughs> uh, which is like the he you know, kind of cross counters people, kind of just like times guys stepping, stepping into him with the, with like a short right hand. Uh, that's how he dropped Paulo Costa and Strickland seemed very specifically prepared for that off his own jab. But when Hall kind of like stepped forward and tried to do more things, Strickland didn't look all that defensively, which isn't surprising. 
the the real difference really was that Strickland kind of adapted and dealt with the things uh, Hall was doing specifically. When Hall started jabbing with them, for instance, uh, he you know started jabbing to draw the jab and going to the uh, slipping to the inside and coming over with his own right hand, which is I think what hurt uh, Hall in like the third. Um, and one time actually, uh, Hall tried to body jab and he did that a couple times in succession. And Strickland switch kicked him to the head as he did it, which is like, you know, you don't tend to see guys like actually make reads like that in real time super often at middleweight. Um, I get why people don't like Strickland. He's an ugly fighter and he seems like a kind of ugly person. He's definitely but, definitely both of those things. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I think he's the sort of fighter that I think you need for middleweight to be a normal division. Like for a long time, we've been decrying that middleweight is like uh, kind of barren past about three, four, five people. There's like nobody. And I'd rather see fighters be a lot more flawed in terms of like normal things, defense, punching form, than guys like Ian Heinish who are just capable of nothing. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think Strickland's fine. Uh, Uriah Hall, you know, normal Uriah Hall-isms. Uh, we saw that his jab is significantly less versatile than people gave it credit for. Uh, he was able to jab with Strickland and land, but nothing super consistent. And, you know, obviously he needs like big Hail Mary things to really get anything done and have any confidence in a fight. Uh, by the end of the fight, Strickland was just like doing a lot of punch and clutch things, swarming uh, Hall against the fence. And yeah, I mean, Strickland seems fun. There, he, he's apparently been booked to, not booked to, he's been approached to uh, fight Luke Rockhold, which could be fun. Yeah. Uh, since Rockhold is now old, so that fight's coming. And they're waiting for someone to kick Strickland. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> that would not it, it would not it might not be fun for Strickland now it would definitely not be fun for Strickland in like 2016 mm-hmm. so, yeah uh, I'm not I wouldn't say I'm excited for him I support the existence of a Sean Strickland fighter at middleweight that's a very measured evaluation <laughs> uh yeah it was like within the first round I mean Uriah Hall is not really a fighter known for his conditioning he doesn't like fall apart but you know he, he he's stronger earlier um, depending on the pacing of the fight. Um, and he works in moments. He works in moments, yeah. And uh, I think he set himself up for failure, honestly, just the way he was trying to box with Sean Strickland. He's used to being the longer guy. And, you know, considering how tough the matchup seemed to be inherently, um, I thought he was doing a decent job trying to box with them. Just it was a really tall order, and he didn't really have the depth to do that. Um, he's not, like, an, good at getting inside people's range because how often <laughs> does he have to do that? He's used to keeping people on the end. Um, I think he switched to Fortis MMA, so oh, he looked like he picked up some skills. You know, he, he, as a boxer, he looked better than he has in other fights. But <laughs> changing your skill set for one opponent is pretty crazy. I don't know if that's what he was doing, but uh, he's like very kick heavy usually, or at least in his good performances, he has been. And uh, maybe like once in the first couple rounds, he timed Strickland stepping in and low kicked him and it landed really hard and he just was really reluctant to kick with him. And it was just like, whatever concerns you have about why, why you're not kicking, it's, it's better just to use your tools, especially when that's the best part of your game is that you're a really powerful kicker. You have a really good diversity of kicks. You can do this. And he did not try very much to do that. And by the time he did start being like, okay, maybe I got a kick. He was already a bit broken down. And that's one aspect of the commentary that was very strange to me. Bisping said he trained with both of them. And I remember at one point, this uh, Uriah Hall, I blew up at Bisping on Twitter. Um, so I, I think they had beef and Bisping was like, he's broken. He's broken like pretty early in the fight. And I was like, yeah, maybe, but he's like hanging tough and still trying to do stuff and, and trying to win. And like, there was plenty of situations where he could have quit and he didn't, he kept trying to land. And it's like, yeah, he was like, 
broken from like, can't really hold himself together too much anymore at this point. And Strickland's just kicking his ass, but um, he wasn't not trying and, you know, he didn't fold. So I'm just like, you seem to have some information there, Bisping, that you're working with or, or you know, maybe you don't like yeah. him. I don't know. It, it was, it was a little weird. It was a little awkward. Um, yeah. And Bisping was also like, standing Strickland during the fight. He got really <laughs> excited at one point because he thought Strickland was coaching Uriah Hall and like yelling at him during the fight oh, and yeah, talking to him. That. Turned that out was it was Uriah that. Hall's corner. Um, yeah. They corrected him and he felt awkward. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was, So that part was weird. But I mean, the fight was fine. It was a good performance from Strickland, but as like a main event of a UFC card, it's like, what are, what are we doing? Um, but yeah, that's really the only fight from that card I, I'm interested in talking about. I don't know if you had anything yeah. else you want to talk about from that card. Uh, nothing else on the card, just like a final note on the fight, I guess. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah, I think the thing with Hall is uh, he's kind of, it seems like he's been coached into jabbing without really understanding why he's doing it, if that makes sense. Um, a lot of the praise he got for the Costa fight, and I think the ACJ fight, was that uh, he, you know, jabbed them a lot. But he doesn't really, like, use it to set up other opportunities the way Strickland does. And I think it kind of goes the same way with the kicks, right? Like, a lot of what Hall did, he's been kick-heavy in that his finishes have a lot of kicks, but it's not the sort of thing where you've seen him consistently figure out triggers for the kicks and like break guys down with them. And really, you know, and anything he does, Uriah Hall is insanely moment. Like he needs moments. He needs moments more than he needs consistency. That's what made this such, I mentioned before the, the, the fight, this was the most middleweight fight there is because you have one fighter who's just pure consistency at the cost of form. You have another fighter who's pure form at the cost of consistency. And as it turns out, consistency wins. So, yeah, I mean, Fun from Strickland, uh, Hall, back to the drawing board, I guess. I don't know what he does at the drawing board, but... Fights worse people, I think, would be <laughs> a good a good thing to do. Because uh, I yeah. kind of like where his skills are at at the moment. He just needs to figure out what his, what his deal is. Um, I, I was going to make a reference. If anyone's seen, uh, I think you should leave. Yeah, Chunky, what's Chunky's deal? We got to figure out what Chunky's deal is. <laughs> we got to figure out what your eyes deal is. Like, he, he, he's got these skills. He's got stuff he's got a lot of stuff he he can he can be better he can be better than he is without learning new things he just needs to have better ideas about how he's going to apply what he has and um i don't think fortis is the right camp um because jeff neal recently looked uh, a bit short on the on the ideas side uh carlos diego fajaya also kind of looked like he ran out of ideas um on on in, in terms of striking um yeah so I don't know if that's the right camp. I mean, he's developing his fundamentals, but I, I don't think that was entirely the problem. I think he could be, it's middleweight. He could be beating people yeah. more than he is. Um, so I'm not sure, but I'm not that concerned about it, but it, it would be cool for him to succeed because he's a, he's a very talented fighter. He can do a lot. And uh, he's physically, he doesn't look like he's only got a little Declining. bit of time left. Yeah, yeah. I think he, he can, he could put a little something together, but it would, it would just be cool to see him like finally, breakthrough and be like a legit contender because I think he's always had it in him. Um, and the hype was overblown for a long time. And he had, but he had honestly, he had bigger holes in his game back then. I think he's like deserves that hype a little bit more now. Um, but it's just like, he's fighting better people. So it's like, he's not looking as impressive, but I don't know. I'm, I'm cool with your eye hall. I wish he was, uh, I wish he was better though. <laughs> I mean, you could see him trying, but yeah, I agree with Fortis. I think like a while ago, we thought they were like a really good sort of hipstery camp because uh, like, you know, they created fighters that we really liked yeah. who weren't necessarily super high in the ranks. But then CDF got old after like one really great performance. And 
Jeff Neal looked a lot more limited than we expected him to be. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's very possible Hall's race is limited limit at Fortis because those guys are they're genuinely good boxers in terms of like moment to moment things. But a lot of them don't seem to really have an idea of what they're doing in the larger scale of fighting. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Uh, I, I'm not really sure Hall deserves a ton of hype just because he's, you know, if he hasn't hit a ceiling yet, he turned 37 on the day of the fight. Mm-hmm. He's probably going to hit it soonish. But, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'd be fine with him getting a, a Gastelum rematch or something. Gastelum rematch. Interesting. <laughs> anyway, so that was that card. Um, the best event from last week was Bellator uh, 263. Main event was uh, Patricio Pitbull versus AJ McKee. We talked about how great and good Pitbull has been throughout his career and how impressed we've been with him and how AJ McKee, you know, hasn't blown us away with his past performances, but looked like, you know, a good fighter with a lot of potential, definitely physical. And um, he, he finished Pitbull in under two minutes. He, uh, he rocked him with a head kick and then uh, he dropped him in an ensuing flurry. And then he, he picked up a standing guillotine with regard to the stoppage. Um, I think the ref made a decision too early but I do think that Pitbull was out. I just feel like he like reached to grab his arm or like saw the arm go down and st- it was like went to stop it right away. It was like grabbing the arm. I think you got to give it a dangle. Um, like a couple seconds aren't, aren't that much of a big deal when it comes to, to chokes. Um, if you, if they just went out, you know I mean? You'll be okay. Um, you know, better, better safe than sorry, but with, with submissions, it's a little different when it, when it comes to chokes, but I don't know. Um, with regard to the performance, some stuff that I noticed, uh, we talked about like the cross counters and uh, how the boxing exchanges would be pretty messy for AJ McKee. He simply did not have any. He had kept he a super simply long did, distance. did not yeah. box with him at all. And <laughs> I was like, oh, this is actually pretty intelligent. Like, I think that's a good amount of awareness that he uh, used the longest weapon he had, which was the, the sidekick to the leg, um, which you actually lean back on. It creates a lot of distance. Their counters and defense exist to it, but that's not really within Pitbull's game too much. And uh, yeah, he kept uh, mixing up his, his sidekick with uh, you know, regular low kicks uh, to the outside of the leg and Pitbull was reaching for them. And I was, cause you weren't on the commentary with me, sure. Um, so I was commentating by myself, having to make all these striking reads by myself. And I'm like, well, you know, when people start reaching for the low kicks, usually they kick high next. Um, and he did, but it wasn't really like off the same the re- motion yeah. of the, the low kicks before, uh, but conceptually it made sense. But I think it was actually just like he drew the hand fight and kicked high, um, got it, got him reaching and parrying. Um, Cause you know, he's such a good counter puncher. That he's always looking for counter punching and you, sometimes you can trick people into boxing and kick them. Um, kind of similar to that early dynamic with like Randy Costa and Adrian Yanez, uh, but you know, better. Uh, yeah. But he, 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering how the game plan would have developed over time and what people would have done and what the fight would have looked like if it was longer. But I mean, he did exactly what he was trying to do and it worked immediately. And um, with regard to like being shot or not, I don't think there's hard to say. There's nothing no. you can take from that fight. To be like, <laughs> Oh, Pitbull's declined. Um, he got kicked in the head and he didn't like, get knocked out. He just got hurt by getting kicked in the head. That's normal. That's how normal people yeah. react. Um, yeah, he got dropped in the follow-up floor, but he, he was rocked with a head kick. So I don't know. There's not too much you can take away from it other than AJ McKee. Pretty smart. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's, <laughs> he's succeeded in every attempt to win a fight he's had so far, even though he's shown flaws in other fights. Um, now we know he's a guy that 
it, when he comes understands fights. Yeah, yeah. He, when he's fighting someone that he has legitimate challenges for him, he knows what those are and he knows how to mitigate them. So he allegedly has one fight left on his contract in Bellator. So he's probably gonna fight him probably again if for the yeah. lightweight title. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that's good just because this fight wasn't A, super damaging, and B, I mean, it was conclusive, definitely, but we didn't see all the things we would have liked to see. Um, but yeah, it, it was a kind of bizarre fight just because uh, the finish, it looked like AJ McKee was playing a lot off the, the open side straight because the way that Pitbull reacted, he like brought his elbow way down and like parried and like leaned one way, like braced himself for the kick, and then the kick just didn't happen, or the straight rather, it just didn't happen, he just got kicked, so... It was like a southpaw double attack without one of the parts of the attack, which was weird. But, yeah, that happens. You know, sometimes it's just a gamble when a guy's that big and not really giving you a whole lot. So, yeah, I mean, AJ McKee seems to understand what he's good at. He seems to understand the attributes that he has and how to use them. And, yeah, this is a tremendous win. I mean, until we see uh, Pitbull, rather, look worse, I don't think we can really say that this was a loss that is, you know, any sort of contingent on age that like we said before the podcast that, or before the, the event, rather he's had a long career. He's like to be one of the greatest. You have to have a, a fairly long career with a good deal of mileage and that you're fighting good opponents, but he did not look declined in this tournament whatsoever. He looked very good. So you, you have to give AJ McKee full props for that. And I'm happy for him because, you know, super young fighter millionaire now, I guess. I mean, it's tough to say because, you know, taxation, but as close to a millionaire as anyone in MMA is probably going to get in one fight. So um, Big Joey Davis. Uh, Joey Davis is bad. Uh, like a year or two ago, told me that like AJ McKee's contract that he signed was a million dollar contract. So it, that doesn't mean like you're going to make a million dollars per fight. And I don't, maybe he was just meant that he's in the tournament and he can win a million dollars, but he might've meant that his payouts for the entirety of his contract would equal $1 million. Um, like how the UFC signs people to six figure contracts. Oh um, uh, yeah, for like a seven-figure contract, which is actually you know pretty pretty good. Uh, solid. So I don't know. I think yeah, I think he is a millionaire. Uh, pretty amazing. I mean, Antonio McKee also made a lot of really smart career decisions. I mean, he fought almost the entirety of his career outside of the UFC, um, and I think he was smart with his money and like bought property and opened a gym and like did all of this stuff. Um, and now he's like he's sitting pretty. He's he's well off. Um, for sure. I've, I've, I've interviewed him before. I know this stuff. So, um, yeah, AJ McKee, uh, I think I really want him to fight in the UFC because historically Bellator's featherweight division has been very, uh, there's been some, some elite fighters that can show you a lot and a lot of tests to, to go around. But, um, at the moment, like outside of like fighting Mads Brunel or like, that's it, uh, <laughs> instead of fighting Mads Brunel or maybe some of these, uh, like someone like Shabli, or, um, you know, any of the other Russians coming up. I, I feel like there aren't as many cool tests for McKee as there were for Pitbull over time. So UFC sooner than later. Um, so hopefully he finishes this contract and then goes to the UFC. But do they want to do that? Because here's a guy that could beat your guys. He's from Bellator. They've taken that risk before. It's worked out well for them. I mean, Eddie Alvarez... Won, won, won the freaking title, um, but not until, yeah, after yeah. you also so won their guys. Yeah, it worked out both ways. Uh, Hector Lombard, kind of a bust. Um, but again, he, he had a full career. All these guys had full careers before they came into the UFC, so them having success in the UFC is pretty amazing. Um, Alvarez, 
Chandler, Lombard, um, I don't know, other people maybe, but, <laughs> uh, so you know what I mean? It's like, uh, this is the first time that they're going to get someone pretty much in their prime or close to it. Fresh. And it's like, this is going to reflect a lot on both companies and, you know, for Bellator, it's like, they can talk about the UFC if they want. The UFC dare not mention Bellator. So if your guy comes over there and does well, you're going to talk about it. Um, kind of like how one championship loves to bring over <laughs> the UFC fighters and just set them up to get destroyed. Uh, and then when they do, like, oh, my God, we're knocking out all the UFC fighters. But I don't know. I hope they do it. Um, I haven't seen anything from him that would make me think, like, oh, yeah, he beat Volk, except that he's really big. Um, yeah. he's really big, so that could always turn into something. It's just like if you have that kind of skill set, if it's like even remotely a competitive matchup, just in terms of the way the skills align, um, and then you're bigger, <laughs> that's <laughs> definitely something. But yeah, I wouldn't really think of him as a challenge for Volk right now, but I'd throw him in among the top like seven or eight at featherweight or or lightweight, whatever, um, and to see how it pans out. I'm I'm interested for sure. Yeah, I mean, big and young, I think I generally expect those people to move up sooner or later because mm-hmm. he's huge and he's, I don't know if he's yet to grow into his frame, so to speak, but it tends to get tougher to cut weight when you're older. Uh, so, yeah, I expect him to move up to lightweight, but at featherweight, I think he's interesting for pretty much everybody. Uh, Volk, I don't know, like, that's the thing with this fight is it, it's tough to say that he'd be able to compete because a lot of us were saying uh, Pitbull was like a challenge for Volk in certain conceptual ways. I'm not really that sure McKee's shown the same sort of things, but being huge and kicky, that's something that I think could give Volk some trouble early. It's just that we need to see him compete in the sort of moment-to-moment adjustments that we've seen Volk make and Max make. Uh, as for the rest, I think he'd be trouble for Calvin Cater just because he's big and kicky in Southpaw. Mm-hmm. Uh Ortega, I don't really have much of a read on at this point, so that's something. That would be like that, a cool, uh, a cool debut fight, honestly, him and Ortega, because you know the grappling matchup would be pretty interesting. I think McKee's actually a better grappler than Ortega. Um, yeah, and he said that Ortega's tapped him out, but a long, long time ago. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that would be that'd be cool. But yeah, so hopefully something happens with that, or you know, maybe they fast track Shabli and we get to see Shabli versus someone we can stir elite. Uh, that'd be cool. After all. Um, him versus Pitbull would have been cooler though, but you know, it's fine. Maybe we'll still get that too. Maybe they do that first. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, co-main event, Maz Brunel took out Emmanuel Sanchez. I was so impressed. because uh, I, I tremendous fight. I have I have respect for Emmanuel Sanchez. I think he's got a pretty good skill set. Ryan has respect for Emmanuel Sanchez, which means a lot more than me having respect for somebody because I'm more easily impressed than Ryan is. And uh Maz like neutralized his offense really well, got his counters through really well, hit that transitional game. Uh, to his level changes, and he did, he just looked phenomenal. Yeah, I watched this fight. Um, it was like the commentary was what annoyed most oh, people because yeah. it was really bad. Uh, the first, I mean, I, honestly, most of the rounds were close except for I believe the third when Burnell just got on top and uh, Sanchez didn't really do much to make the top control not matter. Mm-hmm. So the third round was Matt Burnell's round, but uh, one and two were both incredibly close. And I think it, they easily could have gone to Matt Burnell. The 30, 27 card, I don't think was egregious, uh, but yeah, it was a tremendous fight. I thought, um, Manuel Sanchez did a really good job dealing with Matt Burnell's game in terms of, you know, high guardy pressure forward things. He did a lot of, you know, working around the, uh, the high guard with the body work, yeah. the jab and hook change up, which I forgot to mention. Sean Strickland did that a lot against Uriah Hall too. So, uh, you know, couple of connections there, I guess. I guess Sanchez watched the fight. But uh, the jab and the left hook, uh, lots of combination work. But I think he sort of settled into just hitting the high guard itself a bunch of times. Uh, and 
it, it worked as a scoring thing, probably just because the judges can't really see what connects. Which is insane. Like you could, yeah, you should be able to see if something hitting arms <laughs> or face. Like you got it. That's what you're looking for, you know? Yeah, I mean it should be, but the judges are all flatted, and apparently the commentary is somehow even worse. But uh, yeah, uh, Mads Brunel looked like the tighter puncher in the pocket, which worked out very well. He was able to counterpunch him a lot. And he actually went to this uh, sort of cross guard later in the fight when uh, Sanchez started scoring, uh, quote unquote, for those of you who are not on video, <laughs> he started scoring uh, for free on the high guard when he started, you know, just sort of rattling it off. He started uh, going to that cross guard and hitting these really sweet left hooks off it, uh, where, you know, he'd go to the body or roll with the shot and left hook him to the head. So Really smart performance from Mads Burnell, both in terms of that and in terms of finding his takedown entries. Uh, there was one really early one. I think it was in the first round where, like, the way he'd crouch into his left hook, they looked exactly like the takedown. Even I couldn't see that one coming. So, so you do yeah, it. terrific stuff from Mads Burnell. Uh, the, the fact that the UFC let him go, still a, a very real tragedy. I want to see him against uh, the very best at featherweight, honestly. I yeah. think he's a really uh, compelling challenge. But, you know, Arnold Allen, the best ever, perhaps. <laughs> Yeah, it totally depends on what they do with this McKee Pitbull situation. If they do another fight with them at lightweight, because uh, if not, like he's that, he, that makes him the number one contender. Like that—that's the guy that just fought for the title, beat him pretty clearly. He's—he's um, he's on the level. Like send send him in. Um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens there. But yeah, I thought he looked great. I think he's been really owning the style, uh, really refining it over time. It's 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 perfect for MMA. It's really great. Um, with him, it's like people who are really good straight hitters uh, who can, you know, work a high guard uh, who are more threatening to the body, who are more threatening with their kicking game. I think um, a lot of snap kicks to the body came to mind, but honestly with the cross guard, like the parrying motion comes really naturally out of it. So straight For kicking straight kicks, is yeah. not as natural a solution as you would think. Um, but you know, just normal high guard stuff should, should be an issue. Um, but yeah. I mean, like he's, in, in pocket exchanges, he'll duck out of them sometimes. There are just, like, little details here and there that, like, he's not perfect. But, I mean, as, as far as a game goes, it's one of the best I've he seen. He has a good one. Yeah, he, it's really, really smart. So, love him. Love him to death. Um, for both of those fights, you can listen to the commentary um, on podcast platforms under the Fight Say Podcast Network, which you're doing right now. Unfortunately, the videos are not on Patreon, so I recorded the commentaries uh, like I always do. Um, I got the Showtime free subscription, uh, like the trial uh, to do it. And then I you know, finished and I uploaded, I processed the videos. Then I went to look and like Showtime had some sort of like screen recording protections oh. and it had the, the the video screen. Everything else was still there. And my thing was still there. The video screen was black the whole time. So they're sneaky. They're good. They they saw me awesome. coming. You know, I get on that level, ESPN, UFC, you know, your cyber don't. security sucks. Um, <laughs> Better yet, don't get on that yeah, level. Yeah, or don't. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, I wasn't able to uh, to grab the video from that, which was unfortunate. But you can still listen to my commentary, which was fine without True Rom. wasn't great. I'm sure it was, it was okay. Um, but yeah, so coming up, UFC 265, I believe it's called is headlined by the fake heavyweight title fight. Like, just insanely ridiculous. <laughs> Completely fake. Like, I guess they had some negotiation bump with Nganu, and it said, okay, we don't need you. Moving on. Here's a new title fight. Um, which is, I mean, like, what, when did he knock out Stipe? Like, a few months ago? Yeah, it was in March. Yeah, come on, man. Um, <laughs> so, obviously, this is ridiculous. But it's, uh, as far as heavyweight goes, it's, it's a exciting. It's an okay fight. It's exciting. Yeah. Um, just because it's, like, the guy that is like the heir to like being 
the good heavyweight, you know what I mean? Like technically good, yeah. um, has a lot of skills as, as a striker is athletic. That was kind of the, the role that Stipe took. Although Stipe had a lot of the meatheadedness in him, whereas gone <laughs> is like very okay with being boring and, uh, uh, picking his shots and being process oriented. Uh, and Derek Lewis is the exact opposite of that. Um, just the definition of dumbing down your style, which is not really derogatory. Um, it's like, I think a heavyweight, it makes a lot of sense to dumb down your style. If you have the attributes to get done, um, he makes a ton of mistakes in between. Um, don't get me wrong. And I don't think he would get away with those mistakes, uh, against certain people, but, uh, it's like very philosophically charged fight. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, good versus evil. If you think, <laughs> but Derek Lewis <laughs> is a cool guy and like everyone likes him and he's very funny. So I'm not, I don't mean that. Um, but yeah, it's just like in terms of analysts, it's like, I think all the analysts won't go on to win just because Derek Lewis being the heavyweight champ while fitting a fake heavyweight, champ. very fitting being the fake heavy, heavyweight champ. It's just, it shouldn't, it shouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen. <laughs> I mean, I'm significantly more lukewarm on gone. I think he kind of occupies, uh, occupies a space where he doesn't like, he doesn't lean enough into the heavyweight tropes to like be a good example of being good despite them, mm-hmm. but he's not good enough to be a real inversion of those tropes. It's like if someone like Dan Ige were a heavyweight and you just watched him and you're like, Hey, this guy is better than the other heavyweights, but you don't ever really look at him like a, a guy who's here to save heavyweight. If that makes sense. He's just kind of Dan Ige. Like who cares about Dan Ige? Not a lot of people. All right. Sure. So, I'm going to stop you. Cause I think people are listening. They're like, what are you talking about? Gon's not good enough. He's so perfect and amazing on his feet. What what pro, what do you wish that Gon did on his feet to make his style more viable in your eyes? Uh, I think I think it's a lot of like the way that people look at Leon Edwards. That's kind of how I look at Cyril Gon at this point. Okay. Uh, a lot of what he does is like he doesn't really have the mechanics to be a, a very big hitter on the feet. Uh, he doesn't really have a lot of urgency to build on the ways that he's winning a fight. Uh, the Jarzinho Rosenberg fight, I consider a way bigger indictment than a lot of people because people consider that just like a, a fight IQ showcase thing. Mm-hmm. Like Rosenstrike did nothing and Gaunt did one thing and he was okay with doing one thing so he wouldn't get countered. But if you're not willing to build on the, the ways that Rosenstrike is just insanely limited and not particularly good, I don't think that's a good sign against someone like even Derek Lewis, right? Derek Lewis is, if he loses the whole fight, he's going to figure out a way to kind of turn it around in some way or another uh, and just get at you and start making the fight ugly. So I don't think this is a fight that he loses. I guess that's a spoiler alert. I think Gon probably just controls it from the outside, kicks him in the body a bunch. Uh, He's a decent switch hitter. He has a good jab uh, mechanically. As I said, he doesn't really build on anything. He just kind of does things, which is fine at heavyweight. But I think he's... He's aware enough of the distance that he keeps and, you know, he's defensively like he has eyes well enough that he can avoid a lot of what Lewis does early. And Lewis, he's athletically very good, but he's not impenetrable. Uh, His gas tank has been liable a couple of times. He's reasonably durable to the head, not so to the body, which gone is uh, he hits the body more than the heavyweight average of no times at all. So... I think think it should be an easy fight for gone in concept. In execution, I think he's going to let... Lewis hang around for maybe a bit too long to make it as clean as it should be. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I generally, like, I think he loses to Nganu pretty convincingly, honestly, just because Nganu seems to have a lot more intelligence about the way that he enforces his style these days. But then Lewis, that is, like, if, if you only yeah. need to land once, I'd rather see someone do it the Nganu way than the Lewis way. Uh, so, yeah, but, you know, he has upside, definitely. As a heavyweight, he's very good. I just don't think he's, like, the sort of genre-defining I am the next Tipe Miocic type heavyweight. Yeah. Yeah. It it looks clean. It looks pretty. A lot of what he does. Some of it doesn't. 
Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, just the ability to like control entries and, and jab and, you know, keep people on the end of strikes. And uh, honestly, a lot of, a lot of it comes down to controlling entries. Um, he's just pretty smooth with, with picking his spots to, to come in and has some decent setups uh, for landing power shots, uh, but not as much as just kind of landing on the lead and uh, jousting with people. But yeah, I mean, I, I like watching him fine. Uh, I, I do wish, like you said, with Leon Edwards, I wish he pushed his advantages more, but at heavyweight, that is a, a, a situation where it does make sense to be less risk-taking. Uh, but it's like such a gamble with Derek Lewis is like, do you not take risks and try to play it safe and let him hang around longer? Or do you take what's given to you and try to hurt him and really take away You're his power shorter. or finish him? You know what I mean? Uh, and then put yourself in, in danger. Cause I mean, unlike other fighters, he doesn't need to be in any sort of good position or need to land an actual <laughs> good shot, like to hurt you. Um, he'll throw from anywhere. Like he, he just does not care about being good at all. Um, and he's very aware of that. Like he's, that's what he talks about. So it's like, yeah, he's interesting. Um, just as like a person to study for here's how you can be successful without being as skilled as people think you would have to be. Um, but in terms of like people he's beat, they all made like horrendous mistakes. You know what I mean? (laughs) I don't think he's beaten anybody like, that who was impressing me. I'm like, wow, he really, you know, got through their defense by being ridiculous. It's like Volkov really messed up. Um, because Volkov was destroying him before that. And yeah. it was, I mean, geez, could, couldn't have, couldn't have picked a worse strike <laughs> to throw <laughs> at him. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm not gonna rehash Derek Lewis's whole career, but you know what I mean? It's just like yeah, I, I don't think it would I don't think he's gonna do that to Nganu. Um, I know their first fight was the worst thing that's ever happened, but <laughs> I think Nganu is feeling himself enough now just to throw punches normally. And Derek Lewis's defense is really, it's not, not a thing. It doesn't exist. So <laughs> yeah, I really don't want to see him in that position because it's just like, okay, like either he's going to get blown out of the water by Nganu, which, okay, I, I guess I could get down for that. Or they're going to have the worst fight of all time again um tie tied for or you know maybe they'll improve on it slightly like make it worse um <laughs> uh selling that is going to be ridiculous because they're gonna have to basically pretend the first one didn't happen um which is gonna be really funny to watch so i think a lot of people are rooting for this to happen for the memes uh i propose that mma has enough memes um that it's overflowing with memes and there aren't enough good fighters having good results um and so maybe we should lean toward wanting that but I'm not going to tell you how to, how to be a fan. Um, except when it comes to Kevin Holland, I'm going to tell you what to think about Kevin Holland, oh, but in this case, that's a good idea. Uh, I'll let you think what you want about Derek Lewis. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm kind of in the position where um, I, I feel like Nganu probably beats both at this point. So it's hard to like caraton, especially when it's, um, uh, let me put it a different way. The, the way that this fight was created, I kind of want it to be awful just because I want the <laughs> UFC to be punished for the way that they've kind of tried to screw and got hey, over. Hey, man, you're going to be and commentating it, not me, so I'm yeah, fine if it's horrible. That's true. Like, I, I'm on record for wanting this out of several fights, and, like, Masvidal Usman 2 was another one where, like, this fight makes absolutely zero sense. I hope the UFC gets literally nothing out of it, and that's kind of where I am right now. But if it's so awful, it's I think it ends, yeah, I mean, <laughs> towards only the UFC. Uh, I, I wish good things generally on both of these fighters. I think Derek Lewis has done enough to, like, mitigate being bad in a sense with like just being kind of clever and his attributes being 
monstrous. Self-awareness is the smartest quality. Exactly. Like, he knows where he's very weak, and he knows that he doesn't really have the time in his career to get better at those things, so he just figure out, like, these really weird, janky workarounds. I think Blades really impressed me against Lewis, for instance. He did a lot of very sharp things. I think you're, like, went in and out with the jab and kicked him on exits and a lot of stuff that you'd expect, like, a good fighter to do against Derek Lewis, and then he just shot into an uppercut and died instantly. Yeah. Uh, so... That, that was really sad. You can you can go back and listen to the commentary for that. We were both incredibly sad about that. Uh, but that's the sort of thing with Lewis, right? If you let him hang around for long enough, something weird and stupid is going to happen. Um, as I said, I'm probably going to have to pick Gon here. As for what I hope to happen, uh, I'm not really sure. I'm really not sure. Uh, I think there's a decent chance Gon just gets Rosenstroiked. Like, that's a decent chance with anyone within Ganu. And then you end up that it's like, you know, Gon was the next standard bearer for good heavyweights and now it turns out Ngannou was like the best fighter all, of all time uh, but you know I, I'd find it funny if Lewis and Ngannou too happen exactly the same way it'd be sad for heavyweight in general because I'd be sadder for Ngannou really because he looked like a better fighter but I don't know if Lewis just brings those sorts of fights out of people who am I to complain whatever I, more and more I find myself needing to treat heavyweight like it's like an entirely different sport you know, just yeah. view it differently than I view the rest of the divisions <laughs> and just, you know, be okay with it. I like it better than light heavyweight because at least it's like dynamic enough that it's interesting. Whereas light heavyweight, it's like, yeah, they aren't as good as, as the people, the other weights and like stuff doesn't really happen that often. Um, <laughs> but the, the Yan era has been decent so far. I mean, it's been very short, but you know, yeah. just like the post Jones with like Tiago Santos and Yan and like all, all that, like the, this new dynamic is, um, is fine. I'm fine with it. But uh, yeah, the uh, the co-main event is the best fight in the card. Um, but you know what? I don't wish for it to be the main event because then it would be five rounds <laughs> and then it would be like, oh my God, what are we doing? Uh, don't do this. <laughs> never, never, never do this. Um, it's Jose Alda versus Pedro Munoz. Uh, I'll let you lead off the analysis, but I would just like to discuss that uh, Jose Aldo uh, is obviously regarded by most people associated with the fight site as the greatest fighter of all time. Uh, based on the strength of his resume, uh, he's just he took out over a dozen uh, fighters we consider very high quality, and some of them were very, very high quality, and he just looked amazing while doing it. And uh, no one else has really matched that, where, where they had the same level of competition and you know reigned for as long as they did. And um, the crazy thing is, like he was already had a good argument for it when he was at featherweight, and you know he had this history of really bad weight cuts at featherweight. And you're like, okay, like his career is, has, is ticking clock. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. no way this, he's going to have a go much longer um, because of this. It's like his body looks like it's breaking down. He's getting all these injuries. He can't kick anymore. Like this is like, he's not going to last much longer. And then he says, I'm dropping to Bantamweight. And we're like, that is the most insane idea of all time. Like you can't make featherweight comfortably. What are you doing? And he hires like a nutritionist. First of all, the human body is wacky that, he, he mostly lost muscle because there's no way he had fat to cut. I mean, he's always been super yeah. duper shredded. Uh, so he lost muscle, but I guess he just did it in a way where he could retain a lot of strength and athleticism. Uh, just, I assume he approached it pretty scientifically. Um, and, you know, he, he lost the amount of weight he needed to, to make band weight comfortably. And he's a band weight now. And he like, looks like one and like, what is going on? <laughs> and uh, his cardio is pretty much the same as it was at featherweight, like against Volkanovsky, he essentially had, enough cardio to do things for seven, eight minutes, uh, less than that. Probably his cardio is actually better 
uh, <laughs> been in weight than it was at the end. Based on the yawn fight, for sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, his best round in the yawn fight was the third round. Um, and then he died. But <laughs> <laughs> he was having a good performance. So it's just like, he is so, he's a legend. He's so amazing. Like, how, who does that? Who, who's had the kind of career he's had where he comes to Bantamweight and it's like, not only is he like looking good against, you know, elite Bantamweights, uh, he's beaten some of them. Uh, so it's just, and I mean, after he lost the title of featherweight, he was beating some, some high ranked featherweights as well. Um, you know, they haven't aged great. Like with like Moicano and Stevens, people don't regard them as highly as they did when he beat them. Um, Stevens, you should never have regarded that highly, but, um, but just the fact that he, that he's beaten these guys, like holding off young contenders, uh, it's it's pretty incredible and if he beats Munoz that's just going to be it's going to blow my mind because that's just like well how are you doing this he's 17 years into his pro career so people who look at his age I'm like oh he's only 34 first of all only 34 that's old (laughs) um 17 years into his pro career that's how you measure a fighter's you know how how many miles they have on them right and the amount of wars and you know damage taken and the weight cuts and the way that like Nova and Yao ran as a camp, like everything. And it's like, how, how is this possible? So he's a superhuman freak, man. Um, it's, it's insane. But do you think he can beat Pedro Munoz? Uh, I think it's possible. Uh, I have a, a lot of reservations on Jose Aldo that have, I've, I've picked against him in, I think all three fights so far at Bantamweight. Nice. I don't know what I said for Cheeto, but, you know, I've been right more than I've been wrong technically. I don't. I haven't rewatched the Marias fight for, to see if Aldo actually won. I thought he did live, but I'm also very biased. I, did, uh, I did bad calls in that fight earlier today. Um, oh, nice. And I, I scored it for Marias, and I didn't think it was Damn. that. I didn't think it was that controversial. No, I thought. Uh, I thought he won the first and third round. Um, yeah, you, you could uh, you could finagle an argument for Aldo, but I didn't. I didn't think it was actually that close. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's. I remember being very sad about that fight just because Aldo also kind of stopped doing things by round three. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a very, very strong second round, but the first round was kind of lost after that head kick and the lat drop. It's funny. Uh, he was tr- actually trying decently hard in the third round. He just couldn't pursue as aggressively as he wanted to. And Marias was actually giving him issues in the back foot. It was weird. Um, Marias actually countered him, like counter jabbed him pretty well in the third round. But yeah, first round, he did basically nothing. Second round, he looked great. And then third round, uh, he got, actually got kind of frustrated with, with Marais on the back foot. So it was actually a pretty cool performance from Marais. Um, but a weird a weird one from Aldo. I feel like he hadn't figured out his pacing or, you know, being a bantamweight as much yet. It's a lot different than he looks physically than the Yan fight. So I think he's uh, grown into the weight, you know, to a weird way to yeah. say that. But, you know what I mean? I think he's gotten better <laughs> at being a bantamweight over time. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I've picked, as I said, I've picked against him in all three fights, and I've been right more than I've been wrong at this point. Mm-hmm. But the fact, I, I still don't feel comfortable doing it, just because I feel very confident that Pedro Munoz is the sort of matchup that Aldo would look absolutely tremendous in his prime against Pedro Munoz. I don't think it'd be a particularly competitive fight whatsoever. Uh, even if we took, like, Aldo skill set, cut him down to Bantamweight, where he's less muscular, uh, maybe even has a bit of a cardio cost. In three rounds, I don't think Munoz would deal any sort of trouble to him. Uh, Munoz, for his part, he's very good. Uh, I like Pedro Munoz a lot. He probably should be in the top five already. He's ranked underneath Cody Garbrandt and Rob Font, both of whom he finished. Because he didn't get the Edgar decision. That's what bumped him down. Yeah, I rewatched that today. That was a bad decision. I thought it was like three two Munoz at worst, and the swing round was like I think it was the fifth round where Edgar seemed to kind of hurt him on one foot with a right hand, but it didn't really like. I, I'm pretty sure Munoz won the fight. So it's just a real shame because Edgar, as it turned out, didn't really 
give an elite that much trouble whatsoever. But yeah, Munoz, he's very good. Uh, and his game, I think it's pretty uniquely troubling for a fighter like Aldo in terms of where he is now. In terms of where he used to be, I think a, a fairly plodding, high guardy fighter who relies a lot on kicks, that's the sort that Aldo would shut down pretty much entirely. I think Munoz, he's decent enough that he would, and committed enough to the things that he does, that he'd probably get himself finished really like in like fourth or fifth round by Aldo, uh, who'd go really hard to his body and start carving the high guard up and defending the kicks without really much trouble. Um, Munoz, as a kicker, he's he's a very hard kicker. I wouldn't call him a particularly clever kicker. Uh, he had some moments against um, both Edgar and Rivera where he would, in the fifth round, I think, he started cutting off uh, Edgar's exits with the round kicks and uh, switch kicking. And against Rivera, he started countering his entries with the kicks and stuff. But most of the time, he just blasts these outside low kicks, and Aldo has zero trouble with that ever. So... This should not be a troubling fight for Aldo, and I think for the first round and a half here, it won't be. Uh, we've seen a lot of points where Aldo could, um, even against Chido Vera, who has a lot of, he has some similar upside to Munoz, if you think about it. He's like a, a stretched out version who's not as good at several <laughs> things, where he's completely indestructible. He pushes a crazy pace. Uh, he has a fairly porous high guard, uh, and he hits reasonably hard. So the the athletic traits are kind of there. It's just that Chido being longer and being more willing to concede the back foot is what might have sunk him there, uh, the back foot thing, not the longer thing. Yeah. But I think Aldo settling into a bit of a pressurier role here is bad for several reasons. Uh, but against Munoz, it could be really bad because Munoz is not the sort to concede the back foot to anyone ever for any reason. Um, at least in terms of like he was he backed up when the guys like Edgar and Rivera came at him. He doesn't like stand there and counter just not ever backing up. But in terms of the overall dynamic of the fight, Munoz is always the one moving forward. Uh, he's durable enough to afford it. He's definitely conditioned enough to afford it. And in three rounds, he's both to just the nth degree. There is no way to hurt this man or back him off. Uh, and that in itself makes it very concerning for Jose Aldo. Uh, now, rewatching the, the Edgar fight, I think I kind of underplayed in the preview that I wrote uh, for the staff picks, which I might have to amend now. But Munoz is actually a lot jabbier than I thought. Uh, he did a lot of good work with it against Edgar. Uh, one is a standalone strike. Uh, and two, to try to draw out those counter combos where you draw them out and counter with the right hand or draw them out and even kick him at the end of it, which is really smart. Uh, but I do not trust Jose Aldo against like fast straight punchers at this point. Uh, Munoz is not someone I consider fast in general, but the way that he can kind of play with the rhythm of the jab and, you know, kind of use it for different purposes. I'm not sure about this one. And I think if Pedro Munoz is the sort of fighter I think he is, and he loses the first two rounds even with the tools that he has, where he's able to just seriously push Aldo back and still gets carved up. The more Aldo does in the first round and a half, the worse it's going to be for him late. And the worse it is for Munoz, the harder he's going to push. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pessimistic for Aldo, but I'm hoping he can get it done. I don't think it's the sort of I don't think it's the same sort of fight as the Edgar fight where Munoz is just chasing after him. I think Aldo's going to plant and throw with him and force him to like consider the way that he's entering. But after a point, I think Munoz just gets after it. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Like Aldo is super hard to kick. Uh, I think he'll be able to counter Munoz really well, especially with the speed discrepancy. Uh, with him, like taking the front foot and walking people down more, yeah, he started doing that as soon as he dropped the band and he was doing it to Marais. It's honestly, it's a less energy intensive style than the way he holds center in, in counters, just because to enforce that, you got to jab hard and you got to counter hard and you got to, you know, slip and pivot and you got to do a lot, a lot of like pretty sharp maneuvers. Uh, you can actually reflex heavy things. Yeah, too. exactly. Reflex heavy, which is something that goes with age. Um, or as on the front foot, you kind of control when things happen a little bit more. Um, he, he definitely wasn't used to it very much against Marias. So like he was having trouble with it, but 
I mean, overall, he looked good at it, and he really ramped up his body punching too because that's a safer lead. Um, yeah, that's the thing. It's like Munoz probably isn't going to wear that damage. Uh, he probably won't slow down very much, uh, and it won't look like it's hurting him. I don't think he's going to hurt him very much to the body. Um, or to the chin, probably. <laughs> it's going to be really hard to hurt him. Um, and Aldo's a, a pretty big puncher, but a lot of it's like, he punches really hard, not like he has heavy hands. You know what I mean? Uh, like in the at the end of the Marais fight, he didn't look like he had a lot of steam left on on his arms. Um, but yeah, that's the thing. It's like I, I agree. I, I think he it's a good matchup for him as long as he has energy to do things. And then once he kind of drops off a little bit, it's gonna be like he's Munoz is gonna keep coming and things could snowball really quickly. Um, how I'm not sure because I don't think his kick defense will become porous it, once he gets tired it's really just his boxing that becomes more vulnerable um like you can get him to move his head and he can get stuck in a reaction it, basically what holloway did to him um munoz isn't that kind of boxer but he's going to be aggressive he's going to push his advantage regardless even if it's not the prettiest way to do it and I, I think he'll find success um i'd be really surprised if he didn't win the third round um but i don't think he'll finish although um it doesn't seem the way this matchup is like Aldo's chin is still good and he doesn't fall apart entirely. He doesn't stop trying. He just kind of stops doing stuff, but he's like, he's defensively, he's still all right, but he's going to lose his energy to still have output. Um, which is tough because like in the Chito Vera fight, Chito started to gain some momentum at the end of the second round and Aldo just opened the third round by grappling and took his back (laughs) and hung out on his back the entire round. That's not really an option here. Uh, Munoz is, you know, I'd rank him pretty high all time uh, as in terms of MMA wrestlers. Uh, maybe not offensively as much. He's he's good. He's good offensively, but defensively, he's he's one of the best um, the UFC's ever had. And I think a lot of it is one, he's, he's good, but two, people don't want to hang out in his hips too long if they have if they didn't take a really clean good shot because uh, you know, he'll guillotine you. Yeah, <laughs> so. Um, you know, depending on on how you how you t- try to take him down, like yeah, maybe you can wrestle up to the back, but still, it's like Munoz isn't going to be held there like Chito. Uh, so the grappling probably won't be there to bail him out. I don't think Munoz is going to try to wrestle with him or, or grapple with him too much, but yeah, it's going to be a weird fight because depending on how Aldo approaches his pacing, because like we said in the Marais fight, he kind of took the first round off in order to do more later. Um, and that's, I mean, that's not what he did, what he did against Jan, but. It is kind of similar where he he did definitely paced out. First round his, slipped away, yeah. Paced out his action, uh, made sure he would have left a something for for later. Um, but yeah, like the pacing, the the cardio, the conditioning factor that that seemed like the whole matchup to me, honestly. Because if that wasn't a thing, I'd be very confident picking him. But now it's just like a gamble. It's like, okay, how much will he win before he starts losing, and <laughs> when will that happen, and how much will it matter? And that, I mean, that's obviously a question for a lot of matchups. It's, it really feels like what the dynamic is. So in the staff picks, I picked Aldo. I think it's not unreasonable to expect him to be able to win two rounds um, and live and not get 10 in the third. Uh, but yeah, it's totally up in the air. I mean, Munoz is really going to have some output. Uh, and it's going to force Aldo to do things unless he wants to lose the rounds. And I'm not sure if he's in a position where he can afford to lose the first round. Um, you can't really hang on to, to have something for the third. So it's going to be really interesting. Um, 
the only thing that would disappoint me really is if it ended in the first, because then at least we didn't get to see uh, the way this would would play out. Um, but yeah, I mean, it kind of feels like an awesome, amazing fight that's going to have a lot of really cool moments um, from both guys, and uh, it's it's the main event for me. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, I think another thing is that Munoz is also probably kind of a decline risk, just because he's been fighting since like two thousand nine. That's a point. He's had a bunch of like really nasty fights. He looks really good against Rivera, though. That's the thing. Yeah, that's true. Like, I think it's the sort of thing where if any part of his game kind of goes down, it's a lot less resistant than Aldo's to decline. Mm. He needs, like, all of his urgency and all of his cardio and especially all of his durability to really be able to do a ton. Um, and Asuncao was a nasty fight. Both Rivera fights. He took a decent amount of damage. Sterling and Edgar were both pretty nasty for him. So, I mean, for both guys, really, but also for him. Uh, so I'm, I wouldn't be completely surprised if he suddenly showed up looking old, but... I just, uh, with the way that we saw uh, Munoz fight last time and with the way that he approached the Edgar fight, it's really hard for me to, like, trust Aldo the way that I want to. Um, I think Aldo still seems urgent at defending kicks. I think Aldo still seems urgent at defending and countering the jab like he did against Cheeto with, like, the very first jab he threw. But when the fight gets a little bit deeper, he still... You mentioned his kick defense doesn't really get worse. It didn't against Cheeto. He, like, threw to the beginning of the third round. Like, the first exchange of the third round was him, like, checking a leg kick and countering with an overhand. And he's never really stopping, like, trying to keep defensively moving. It's just, Munoz is a really big hitter. He understands how to set up his offense really well. He's heavy-handed. I think he has a really underrated ability to, like, track guys' exits. He did that against Font a bunch. He did that against Edgar a a good deal. Um, And I think if Aldo gets a decent amount less efficient, it's going to be a lot trickier for him to survive. Um, I don't think Munoz is the sort of boxer that really troubles him the way that someone like Peter Yan did, where he starts drowning in layers, or even someone who just, like, reaches out and hits him for free a bunch of times at range. Munoz is not that kind of boxer. He's a lot more of a hooking blitzer, which is really good for Aldo in terms of defense. He can just, like, slip and pivot out and make Munoz look like a moron, and he's going to do that a good deal in the first couple rounds, I think. But as I said, the more he has to do early, and he's going to get a lot of opportunities to do things early and a lot of necessity to do things early against someone who pressures that hard— the worst he's going to look late. And I think Munoz is going to make him look way too good early to survive late. Interesting. Are we both picking Aldo? Uh, I'm picking Munoz. I'm very sad about it. Okay. Um, I wasn't sure where you're going with that. All right. Well, (laughs) I think that's, it's reasonable to pick either way. Um, Just depending on your rationale. Rationale is reasonable. I'm cool with it. My rationale is sadness hedging. That's uh, that's always a safe move. You got to do it in a smart way. You can't just say he'll win unless he doesn't. Um, you gotta say exactly how it's going to go down. Um, anyway, welterweight, something of a number one contender fighter, a setup for a number one contender fight, uh, at the very least Michael Chiesa versus Vicente Luque. Um, we've been hard on Chiesa, <laughs> but I think he's defined himself now as hear me out. Amaya type in that he has like I said about Derek Lewis, dumbed down his game uh, to focus to focus on his strengths and, and kind of simplify things. I think there was a time where he was trying to get better as a striker and was doing a lot of ugly stuff uh, to get to his wrestling grappling situations. I think he's accepted that his striking is, is but ugly um, and that he just wants to use it to, to tie up and, and just start grappling as soon as possible. I mean, he's even bigger than, obviously, he's bigger than he's ever been you know, at welterweight. But I mean, his size advantage feels more pronounced at welterweight so far. Um, like he seems very strong, um, and it's really helping out his game, like having, having that strength of, of his full size. So 
He's only going to get bigger and fill out more. I think it's a good weight for him. Uh, I like the way he grapples. I like the way he wrestles. I like all that. And he seems like a cool guy too. Ben interviewed him, still hasn't released it. What a loser. Um, but <laughs> you know, I like Asa and he's Italian. So obviously I support, uh, but I like Luke a way more as a fighter. Uh, you know, pretty, pretty solid counter puncher, uh, has tools on the outside, can kick people up, a good counter grappler. Um, kind of like, <laughs> this is going to be weird similar like to a, like a rock hold archetype where it's like has has some holes defensively oh. on his feet but like pretty dangerous offensively and if you try to grapple with him he can he can take you out but rock hold you know had the ridiculously good top game which is different and you know his boxing is much worse than luke's but yeah i, I mean i like luke and i just have a vision of him cross countering Kiesa a lot um, we're just going to have to see how the durability and gym hold up, honestly. Um, you know, Luke does hit the body, but Kesa appears to just be able to tank those. Um, but I do think, uh, chewing up the leg on the outside is going to be good. I think chewing up the leg and countering any of uh, Kiesa's leads. Uh, I think, you know, giving Kiesa the responsibility of leading is going to be smart. Um, cause you, I mean, when you, he's going to be able to react. If, if you lead to his head, he'll be able to relax, react, and he'll be able to create a, uh, a clinch situation, but if you wait on him, he's gonna have to throw something long to get near you, and that's very counterable. Um, so unless he suddenly developed like a really good kicking game, um, I think he's gonna have to lead. I and mean, this is exactly what I said about the AJ McKee fight last week <laughs> is that he's gonna have to do this, but I don't think we're gonna see that kind of adaptation uh, from Kiesa. So I think it's totally possible that he can get him down and, and have some success top gaming him, but I don't think he's gonna like run away with it doing that. I think I think Luke is a pretty competent grappler. Um, so yeah, I'm excited for it. I, I do hope Luke can get it done because uh, people, honestly, just people really in our circle have been really down on him. Um, since when? I don't know. Since Wonder Boy, probably. Yeah, he's had some tough fights with with people that you wouldn't want him to have tough fights with, like Mike Perry. Um, <laughs> that was Mike Perry's best performance ever, really. So uh, it says more about Mike Perry than it does Luke, in my opinion. But yeah, uh, yeah, Wonder Boy fight. He kind of let that get away from him. I think, I think that was winnable. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just, I like, I like his style. I think he matches up well with everybody. I think he's a cool fight for anybody. Um, and I want to see him fighting top contenders and fighting for titles. I don't really want to see Kesa doing it as much. Um, cause I mean, we already have like a guy near the top who's got that gimmick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Of just being able to clinch yeah. and, and wrestle and grapple everybody. Um, you know, let's get some, some cool strikers out there. Cause it's, it's like a very, grappler who can strike division right now um it's the opposite of lightweight yeah yeah <laughs> um so yeah that's that's how i feel did you have any different reads on that matchup not really i'm not sure how much we've seen a luke in the clinch aside from against edwards and edwards yeah. is a very very different clincher to michael chiesa um, i think the front choke threat is probably going to keep chiesa from taking like really bad shots to get to grappling positions because luke like he has been front choked before by jorge masvidal of all people which is something uh but yeah, I think Luke is good enough in those sorts of positions that he can keep Kiesa from like grappling recklessly, if that makes sense. Like yeah. it's not a sort of situation where he just needs to touch him and Luke is like sucked into a position and he just he's in a bad position from the get-go. The way like for instance, Neil Magny, he never really had any sort of threat from those positions. He could just sort of compete and lose. Where Vicente Luque, he poses a threat, which means that uh, Kiesa probably needs to set up his entries a little bit better than he usually does. And that definitely opens him up for the counterpunching. Uh Kiesa, in terms of the striking, I'm still not a huge fan. Um, he does a lot of like squared up circling on the outside. He's super inefficient, which is an issue because he like seemed to get, um, 
I'm not, I don't know if I'd say gas out because he was just in a five rounder right against Neil Magny. And uh, with minimal resistance. Exactly. <laughs> like he, he looked gassed. He didn't fight like he was super gassed, but also like Neil Magny, he's really only a thing in the places where Kiesa is most comfortable. So it's really tough for Neil Magny to take advantage of Kiesa being gassed. So if he was gassed, there's really no way to tell by his fighting. He just looked like he was having a fairly rough time later. And it makes sense, right? Like, unless you have a really good gas tank, if you're huge and you circle around the outside for the whole time, it's going to be rough on you. Yeah. So I think Luke has some real upside here. It just really depends on how good his clinch wrestling is. And I don't really know if I've seen that enough, but I'm going to trust him here. I think I, I think Luke probably beats him up enough that uh, he'll get a read on the way that Kiesa enters and start beating him up. So uh, hopefully Luke by TKO, maybe a club and sub. That'd be cool. Yeah. I mean, Pettis did it. So it's possible. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'm excited for this one, actually, because, you know, if, if Kiesa wins, then good for him. Uh, and if Luke wins, that's what I wanted. So it's <laughs> it's, it's a win-win. Um, Luke has been a, a hoofed guy for most of his uh, career uh, at, at this level, but I don't know if he's there right now. I haven't seen him in any of the footage. I think someone told me he's been training in Brazil, um, but, you know, I, I trust him. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Cool. I mean, I trust Hooft more than I trust any individual fighter, to be honest. I wish he yeah. trusted his fighters as much as you trust him. <laughs> Specifically Rumble. <laughs> it, I don't blame him for not trusting Rumble. Who can trust Rumble? Uh, you you got to think there's so much backstory when your, your coach is saying, don't give up. <laughs> <laughs> like, why? <laughs> I mean, it's pretty much all explained by him immediately giving up. Like, you the, know, the, the fact that he thought that, that was necessary. Point. It's like, OK, <laughs> this is clearly something that happens. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, sure. Um, I have nothing of substance to say about Song Yudong versus Casey Kenny. Can you uh, say something smart about that? Uh, I can say smart things about Casey Kenny a little bit less so about Song Yudong. I don't really. Uh, we watched at least one Song Yudong fight we together. Uh, for I forgot bad about calls. that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a fight that he probably should have lost, so it's tough to say. But Song Yudong looks like a decent puncher, uh, solid in combination. He has at least one really clean counter KO on Alejandro Perez, who is returning against Johnny Eduardo in oh a fight between two people who are somehow like I don't, I didn't know they were still alive. It's shocking to me. But um, yeah, it was a clean KO, so he seems to be reasonably potent on the counter. If you're like lazy with your kicks, uh, Casey Kenny, I was pretty excited for him before the Dominic Cruz fight. I think I probably still should be pretty excited for him. Like Cruz is a pretty unique challenge that you're probably not going to face again. Um, but yeah, he's a fun Southpaw, lots of round kicky, straighty things, uh, really good counter puncher. I think like if we're doing rock hold comparisons, he's a Southpaw round kicker who likes the counter right hook. So there's something. We are, we are doing rock hold comparisons. <laughs> <laughs> the rock hold episode, but yeah, he's he's a lot of fun. I mean, he's definitely more comfortable than Rockhold in those sorts of engagements. Uh, decent puncher. The high, the Alatang Highly fight was probably the most impressive one. Uh, he beat the crap out of that guy. It was so ugly. It was like ugly in the best way. Uh, but um, yeah, I think I trust him here to beat up beat up Song Yedong. Uh, I don't really know if I've seen Song Yedong against a competent Southpaw, which is one thing. Um, he's gonna get kicked a lot, and. I don't know. I don't have smart things to say about the matchup, just about Casey Kenny. That's fine. I like him a lot. So That's maybe there'll be wrestling and stuff. I don't. Kenny seems like a competent <laughs> grappler. And Song uh, yeah, Yadong did though. get. Yeah. And he got laid on by uh, Cody Stamen in the third round. So that'll maybe be a thing. Yeah, I forgot we watched that fight. But I have nothing <laughs> new to add. So that's cool. Uh, the the neatest fight on the card, the, the, the fight that makes me go neat, is uh, Bobby Green <laughs> versus Raphael. 
I didn't say, I, I was, I was ready to correct myself. I thought I was going to Portuguese his name uh, and say Rafael, but I didn't, oh, but now yeah. I'm talking about it anyway. Um, Rafael Fazeev, um, someone I'm really excited about. I've been excited about since before his UFC debut. And then I was punished by the universe <laughs> with the Mustafa fight. Now he's, he's back and everyone's hype on him. He's a, you know, outside of the top 15 type of contender. So I, ho- I hope he gets in there. Uh, I think if he can, continue on his trajectory. I mean, he, he's got really heavy hips. Um, he's been at good wrestling gyms so far. I mean, Tiger Muay Thai and, and Henry Hoof, those are two gyms I really trust to turn strikers into competent wrestlers. And I've seen him training and I, he, I mean, he stuffed Mikano really well and didn't look like he had a problem with that at all. Um, so I trust him on the feet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, energy management is a theme for him. He needs to be a little more careful. Uh, like with, Mark Casey, that's a fight that people point to where like he kind of slowed down the third round and wasn't doing as well after that. Also, the Alex White fight was kind of bad for him. It was weird. It was really yeah. messy. Um, but he's he's getting into his groove. He's picking his spots a little better. Um, and with with Jacasey, like it's it's reasonable for him to not have expected Jacasey to not die um, from everything that he was hitting him with. That was really weird. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I like him a lot. I, I've read about him a couple times in various locations and forms um and bobby green is just uh i think he's what the diaz brothers think they are (laughs) that's a great way to put it actually Mm -hmm. Uh, bobby green seems to have become a very competent defensive fighter based entirely on floyd mayweather's b-roll it's incredibly impressive to me in the weirdest way but yeah uh, bobby green he tends to be the sort of fighter who's he's very reliable to be a durable and be conditioned and i think it's the sort of thing where if Fazeev has fixed the issues that he showed against Alex White and uh, Mark Tukisi, this is the sort of stage where he's going to show it, right? Someone who's janky defensively, someone who's not particularly threatening to him in the pocket, I don't think. Uh, someone who he can probably kick a bunch. Uh, we haven't, I don't know how often we've seen Bobby Green against dedicated kickers, uh, but his stance doesn't seem to be super helpful towards it. I'm not particularly sure. I think, um, like the Diaz brothers, he can be kind of lackadaisical when it comes to kick defense sometimes. But I think when he actually is like, okay, you're going to be kicking me this much. He can actually like shift and have better defense and take things more seriously. He's a weird fighter. He'll show you a lot of different versions of himself yeah. within a single fight. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. He's a very young veteran sort of fighter mm-hmm. where I don't know how young he is. I think he's in his thirties. So he's just a veteran. veteran. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's reasonably adaptable. We've seen him do, clever things in a lot of his fights. That's why pretty much every fight he's been in tends to be like a controversial split decision. Yeah, he's 34. Very weird. Yeah. Okay. I mean, <laughs> it's old for Bantamweight. For uh, lightweight, it's old. he's had 40 so. fights. <laughs> that's yeah, that's kind of the definition of a veteran who's not super old, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think Bobby Green is the sort to, if he doesn't die instantly, because he is getting older and he is gaining mileage, uh, he did nearly die to the hands of Lando Venata in the first fight, which is something pretty concerning because Venata is like a completely unstructured offensive fighter and but physique it was awesome. hits very hard. And that's that's yeah. worth something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he did win the rematch very convincingly, which is cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, if he can hold up against Fazeev in the first and second round, I expect him to have a strong third round. But I don't know. I think he might not just be durable enough and Fazeev is good enough at like hitting people very hard in the pocket and kicking them very hard in the body. I don't know. Like, we, we've seen, like, for as much as we praise Bobby Green just being there for a lot of his fights, he did get knocked out by Dustin Poirier at least once. He is knockoutable. 
And the older you get, the rougher that gets on you. So yeah. I hope he does well. I, I like seeing Bobby Green do well because he's been robbed enough. I thought the Drew Carr close fight was a complete robbery. Uh, there's at least one other fight I think was a robbery. Yeah, he's had some close maybe. Ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I thought he lost to Trinaldo, but that's because I'm biased towards Trinaldo. So there's something. Yeah, I want to see him do do well, but Fazeev seems like a bad opponent for pretty much anybody at this point. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And Green, maybe more than he wants to be, perhaps is an all rounder. Um, he can do pretty much everything competently. He he is a wrestler, um, which is funny. Like he uh, he plays to Cali States and high school, obviously. But you know that's a good, that's a good base. Um, it's one of the best states in the country for wrestling. So that that is his base. He he has retained a decent amount of that. Um, I've seen him wrestle in plenty, plenty of fights like the quake, the clay Guida fight actually recently. I mean, yeah. say what you will about clay Guida historically and recently, but if you have gaps in that regard, you will, you will lose to him. Um, he, he knows he's going to, he's yeah. kind, it's kind of similar to what Darren Elkins is doing these days. Um, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, it's, uh, if you aren't ready to wrestle and grapple with him the entire time and you're not so good on bottom or you don't so good at defensive wrestling, um, he'll, he'll get you. I mean, Clay Guida recently beat Michael Johnson and Michael Johnson's like been having competitive fights with decent people recently. And he lost yeah. Clay Guida. So, uh, <laughs> Clay Guida is kind of a punchline usually, but I think it actually does mean something, um, that he was able to not be a good anti-wrestler at all, but have <laughs> all these exchanges with him and, and come out on top of them. So that's not really going to help him here because <laughs> is probably not going to shoot on him. Um, he's going to have to be a better striker or just an opportunistic one. Cause I think he can challenge Fazeev in terms of like finding holes in his boxing fundamentals. Cause uh, Fazeev is a very athletic puncher. Um, and yeah, I mean, he can box decently, but I would say green's a better boxer, but I think physicality athleticism is going to play a huge factor in this matchup. And that's all in all directions, except cardio uh, in Fazeev's favor. And, uh, I mean, if green does want to try to initiate wrestling and grappling, even if he's more skilled in those areas, I think just physically, he's going to have a hard time imposing himself on this dude who's super bricked up and stocky. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, kicks super hard, you know, he's a bundle, uh, right now he's, you know, he's coiled up and, uh, I think just, uh, let him loose, let him loose in the division. Let's see what happens. So uh, he's got to get past green for me, uh, just for this division to be more interesting because, you know, green's days are numbered. Uh, even as like an interesting you know, veteran guy, but yeah, so I'm, I'm definitely picking Fazeev and I'm really excited to see, uh, how far he goes, because imagine if he like really gets his, his stuff together and all the things we like about his game persist. Um, and he ends up like towards that top five and he's an elite guy with the kind of style he has. I mean, that's, that's a person that's you want to have around for sure, especially with how grappler intensive this division is getting. Um, you need more strikers that don't make me mad. <laughs> uh, and more good kickers, you know, it's like, it's, where, where that's are the kickers? Um, so yeah, that's, that's, uh, one of the best fights in the card as well. And I think that's the only other one I wanted to talk about. <laughs> yeah. I don't see anything else on this card really. Uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, Fazeev should be a lot of fun. I mean, there are a couple of prospects at lightweight that I expect to go reasonably far if they shore up like one big flaw in their game for Fazeev. It's not really a big flaw as much as he doesn't do as much as he should later. And that's something that, all things considered, it's not as big a flaw as someone like Demiris Magulov not just being a great athlete overall, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like, I expect this Magulov to go for far too, but Fiziev is someone who you can really see the potential in how he knocked out someone like Moikano, for instance. Moikano is a tough guy to get in on in that fashion, and Fiziev just kind of nuked him. So, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping he does well. 
Uh, Green, as I mentioned, he's a sort of test to really show how much Fiziv has shored those issues up more than anything else. Like, a lot of the people I've been talking to, like, they're more betting-oriented. They're like, Green's a plus 300. I'm like, okay, Green probably looks narrower than a plus 300, in my opinion. But you're going to be very frustrated when he loses the fight. He's going to lose. But, like, if you're willing to take that moral victory, I'm fine with that because it's going to be a moral victory for you. Is betting Uh, a game of moral victories? (laughs) Sometimes. Surprisingly often. Uh, you know, it's going to be like, hey, I had the value on Bobby Green at plus 300 because he only looked like a plus 150. Well, a plus 150 still means that he lost. Yeah. So. I don't speak that language. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, not watching this card live and having to catch up with it uh, later. So I'm going camping this weekend. Sure, I'm going to do the commentary either by himself or with Tuman or with somebody. I don't know what that's going to be, but uh, hopefully there's going to be commentary on uh, at least the top two fights and maybe maybe yeah. that one. Um, that'd be a cool one to do as well. And uh, you won't have to deal with some black screen nonsense from Showtime. The jerks don't want me pirating their videos. Uh, Pathetic. Yeah, hopefully soon we can get to some Patreon requests, discuss some different various topics. There's a lot of stuff I wanted to talk about uh, other than just constant fight coverage, but I feel like these are fights that need to be discussed. So yeah, there you have it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't really think there's a whole lot else to talk about. What's the next card? It's, I have no idea. How I don't even know. Uh, Let's not worry yeah, the, about the it. The summer's been <laughs> kind of sickly and pathetic this time because they and the fights too. Load in the spring. <laughs> Just kidding. It's been fine. I'm fine. We're all fine. Yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, but the, the point is, there's going to be some off weeks for us to handle your broader, bigger, more fun topics. So uh, stay tuned. The end. <laughs>